0: Well, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, Paul's letter that he wrote to the church at Colossae, and we're going to read uh, verses uh, 1 through uh, 14, and in this particular chapter 1, uh, because we'll cover the second half of the chapter next week, is the, uh, uh, the first uh, portion of this is Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae. And then uh, from verse 15 on, uh, there is this uh, outstanding and probably the best description of the deity in the person of Jesus Christ uh, in all of the New Testament. Uh, and the first five verses of that from verse 15 through 20 is considered to be an early hymn uh, or creed of, of the early church describing Jesus. Uh, again, the character, the qualities, and the identity of who the Lord Jesus is. But this morning we'll look at uh, the first 14 verses, and so hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So we stop there and Notice how Paul describes them. Holy, H-O-L-Y, means pure. It means separated and set apart for God's plans and, and purposes to be God's people. As well as then uh, faithful, and that is consistent and firm, steadfast in following the Lord Jesus and as we read through here, notice how Paul incorporates, as is his custom, to incorporate the three members of the Trinity—Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what's fascinating there is that within the New Testament, uh, as well as the, uh, you know, the Hebrew Testament, the Old Testament, uh, is that there really is no chapter that begins to stop and say, "Okay, now let me talk to you about the Trinity." Uh, But as we read through scripture, we see that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are continuously mentioned, uh, and then their attributes, their activities are mentioned along the way. And so there's this expectation that we will take the time to compile that content uh, and use the brains that God has given to us and begin to realize that There is one God, and Scripture is very clear on that, uh, but three persons, all equal together in sharing those divine qualities. And so three persons, one God, one God, and three persons. And so as we uh, read on here, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God the Father Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? When we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all of its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love In the Spirit. Okay, so God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and now God the Spirit has been mentioned. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may have and live For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son. He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord, and together we say, thanks be to God. Well, as we uh, get started uh, into our message here this morning, I want to ask you a question. Has uh, anybody ever heard uh, someone say to you, to them, uh, to all of you, gee, you know what? When I see you, I see your mother or your father. Or I see your older brother. Uh, You seem to resemble your family in such a wonderful, wonderful way. Uh, Or you sure are different from your family members. (laughs) (laughs) Any of you heard that? Let me, let me see a show of, okay, yeah. All right, well, as uh, this passage uh, unfolds for us, is that uh, one of the things you see immediately out of uh, the beginnings of Paul's writing, he says to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters of the Colossi Church uh, that they are in Christ. And so as we are in Christ, we become children of God. And so as the children of God, it's interesting that perhaps God is in the plan and has the desire that we would begin to experience and be able to uh, demonstrate or conduct and behave ourselves in such a manner that we would reflect who our Father is. That we would reflect or resemble some of Jesus' activity and behavior. And so that's what this word worthy that you see in verse 10 uh, is really all about. Are we offering to God uh, behavior and conduct conduct? Uh, are we demonstrating that in such a way that it looks like we are a part of God's family? And what about the church at Colossae to whom Paul is writing? And so he's indicating to them initially by giving thanks to God for their holiness, their faithfulness, and also their faith, their love, and the hope that they have uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we consider this letter to the Colossians, why was it written? Was there an occasion here? Well, it's, uh, the, the time period is probably around 60 to 62 A.D., uh, which would be you know, a few years, 25 years after the crucifixion, resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And uh, the Apostle Paul has been hard at work. He's had three missionary journeys, and now his wish, his prayer for a long time was to be able to present the gospel in Rome. And sure enough, he's been given a one-way ticket. Uh, to Rome to spend it in prison. And so he is in prison at Rome and he is writing these letters and this is uh, one of the prison epistles uh, that we see uh, being sent to Colossae. Paul has never been to Colossae, to the city there. Uh, He's been to Ephesus. Ephesus was uh, west of the city of Colossae and Colossae is, uh, Andrew, Uh, you've been uh, teaching about the seven churches in Revelation, haven't you? Uh, where is uh, Colossae in relationship to Laodicea? It's close by, it's close by that's right. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and uh, so the uh, uh, it's about 10 miles at, from Laodicea. Laodicea is uh, one of those seven churches to whom uh, Jesus addresses. Uh, and it's in that uh, letter to uh, Laodicea that you know, Jesus has that wonderful, wonderful statement where he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And uh, if anyone would uh, commune with me, you know, they must open the door. And you remember the, the famous painting, and I can't remember the, the, uh, the gentleman who painted that painting, but there was no way to, no latch on the outside of that door. The only way that door was going to open was from the inside. Uh, And so that for you and for me as we stop right here is that God has given us every opportunity by his grace, by he has given us liberty, power, the ability to know him, to receive him into our hearts and into our lives and to be able then to come into relationship with the Lord Jesus in a saving way to fall in love with God and the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then when we open that door, he comes in and he communes and he sups with us in such an intimate and complete way is that the Apostle Paul could write about his own relationship with Jesus. And he would say that even though it is no, he said, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me and through me. And so he speaks of the fact that we take off, we undress ourselves as it were, we put off the old self and we clothe ourselves and God clothes us then with the life, the righteousness, the desires, the abilities, uh, and the uh, attributes of the living Christ. And so here is Paul's desire for Colossians, for the church at Colossae, that they would remain firm and remain steadfast. God has given them all that they need, all that you and I need. God has given to us. And so we are complete in Jesus Christ. Now, the problem that the church at Colossae was facing, just like many churches, was the invasion of other means to uh, to worship, other means to grow spiritually. And uh, one of the challenges of the day was uh, a movement that was called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism had not yet come into full bloom yet, but some of the uh, qualities, attributes of Gnosticism were being uh, demonstrated within this area of Colossae and it was indicating that God is good, but matter, that is the physical world, is evil. Well, the point being is God created the physical world, and when he finished with creation, what did he say? It is good. All right, and then uh, it also was teaching that Jesus Christ was merely one of a series of emanations descending from God, and being less than God, and a belief that led them then to deny the deity of our Lord Jesus, as well as to deny his full humanity. And so then there was also this desire, and sometimes this happens within our Christian faith today, doesn't it, where someone's always coming up with a new idea of how to grow more deeply into the spiritual life Of Jesus Christ and so if you do this then these good things will happen Uh, some of that came about with the charismatic movement I I was in seminary at the time and there were uh, a number of individuals on campus and in the seminary who were really into the charismatic movement and speaking in tongues and uh, I remember that uh, two or three of them sort of cornered me in the library (laughs) and uh, they wanted to uh, me to join into their fellowship so that I, too, could receive the blessing of speaking in tongues. Well, uh, it sent me, certainly, you know, to the end of the, uh, the, the the library there at the seminary to begin to read about what's, uh, what's this tongues movement, what's this charismatic movement all about, and I began to ask a lot of questions. In fact, uh, one of the things that... Uh, they were asking about was, and uh, they were talking to me about was election, and I remember going to lunch. You know, and when I went to seminary, I had really only been a real solid believer for about a year, uh, and uh, uh, even though my parents raised me in the Presbyterian Church, you know, I was one of those kids that, uh, man, when I hit uh, the freshman year of college, you know, I mean, faith, church, out the window. I mean, I I was truly a pagan, a heathen, and uh, if anybody needed salvation, it was me. And so, you know, and about at the end of those four years, and I realized that, you know what, I'm getting out of here. The retreat is over. What am I going to do with my life? In fact, what is life all about? In fact, the Vietnam War was still going on, and uh, myself and a few buddies, we were looking at and went out and talked to a few recruiters. Uh, and, uh, and so it was at that point I began to ask questions. My older brother was uh, graduating from seminary at the time, Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. He went on to become a Presbyterian pastor, and so I would bombard Bob uh, with all kinds of questions and complaints and objections, and yet the thing that I recall about Bob and uh, you know, fortunately he's still living today in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and still a, a great inspiration to me. But was his consistent behavior? is I could object, I could accuse him, I could yell and shout at him. But he always remained, solidly, cool, calm, and collected. In fact, sometimes he would just laugh. He would say, "I love your enthusiasm." He said, but the fact that you keep calling me lets me know, he said, that God is knocking on the door of your heart. So, before I get too emotional here, uh, so then, you know, okay, I got to that place where I realized okay, the answer was Jesus. And so when I made that commitment, that's what then took me on to seminary because I had all kinds of questions that I wanted to get answers for. And uh, so one of the first answers that I got was, who is going to be my wife You know, for the, for the last 49 years? And uh, so Jan and I met at the you know, seminary. And after four years of seminary, it becomes known sometimes the slip comes out of You know, yeah, I went to cemetery, uh, you know, because sometimes the reputation of seminary was that if you really wanted to kill somebody's faith, send them to seminary. Uh, and so the, the deal was is a lot of questions and comments and books you had to read and what have you. Uh, would be frustration. Uh, but uh, very much a life, you know, Jan and, uh was a, a great encouragement, you know, to me in those years at, at seminary. Uh, But in that seminary education uh, and going back then to this charismatic movement was the realization that if, for me, the conviction, the teaching of Scripture was that if God wanted me to speak in tongues, he would give me, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of tongues. And that's why in Scripture, in the New Testament, it's called the gift of tongues, but yet, the individuals in the charismatic movement that I was having contact with, they wanted to put me through a series of physical exercises uh, with mouth and body position. And so sometimes within our Christian faith, even today, there are these challenges, these additions, as it were, to scripture that want to be placed upon us. Uh, And so one of the other features here that might come in our own world would be legalism. You know, that, uh, okay, these are things you have to do, and if you don't do them, then you're going to lose your salvation. Well, uh, how can I lose something that God has given to me out of his goodness and his grace? If God wants to take his salvation from me, then, but that's not what he promises, is it? He says, I love you forever, and you are mine. You come to faith in uh, uh, to me, through uh, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are his forever. Now, in the midst of that, that doesn't mean that he's promising us a rose garden or an easy life, does it? It just means that he has now embraced us, adopted us, brought us into his forever family through the work of of the Lord Jesus and in the power and the abilities that the Holy Spirit has given to me and made possible for me to appropriate. And that's an important word that uh, I began to use later on in my ministry was that uh, because salvation is God's work, isn't it? We are saved by what? We are saved by grace. Grace means unmerited favor. It means that it is undeserved. It means it is extended to us as a result of God's great love, kindness, and compassion, God's desire, and a part of his plan. And so this salvation that is given to us as a gift now is God's gift to you and to me. And we embrace this gift by faith. And so when it comes to living a life that is worthy of our Lord Jesus, uh, we see first in Colossians chapter 1 here, in the opening verses, three of the qualities, essential elements that are necessary to be able to live a life that is worthy of our Lord. And so when you look at that verse 10 and it says, live a life. All right. So when we uh, turn, it says, "We pray this in order that you may live a life." Well, that in Greek is one word, and the word is "walk," translated into English. Uh, and uh, uh, but it has been translated, uh, as you've heard Sid from time to time talk about the translations of Scripture. Sometimes they will give us a little commentary uh, in terms of the translation of a a Greek word. Well, the Greek word is literally walk. And so you will see the word uh, walk being used from time to time and place to place in terms of how do we walk. And so we are to walk in a way that is worthy of the Lord. And then the word worthy, which is extremely important, means to be, Not that uh, as we live out that we're supposed to earn our salvation, that is that we become worth enough to God that he wants to save us. You know, as if we're like a a player on a baseball team who actually is coming into a year where we could be traded, let go, or not re-signed, uh, but we're having a great year, you know, and so now the the management is saying, okay, we're going to keep this guy. And uh, we're going to pay him a salary and, you know, re-up his contract. Well, that, that's not what worth means here. We're not about earning what, uh, uh, you know, God's favor. Uh, but we are being and, and called upon to live a life that is worthy, that is resembles, you know, that family. That as when someone would say, gee, you, you know, you remind me a lot of your mom or your dad or your family or your brother, uh, you know, I know who you are, uh, maybe not only by your physical, how you speak and how you look, but by the way you act, the values that you demonstrate, the honesty, the integrity, the qualities and characters of your life. And so, when it comes to living a life worthy of our Lord, who is our Lord? What are his attributes? Well, God is honest, a person of integrity. You know, he's faithful. He's loving, he's kind, he's compassionate, he's even omnipotent, omniscient, uh, and omnipresent. He's everywhere. Now, those are qualities that are not going to be transferable for you and for me. But the transferable qualities of being joyful, loving, full of peace, self-controlled, kind, and compassionate... Those are transferable qualities that we are to demonstrate and show to be people who are honest and truthful, uh, people who are willing to share, people who are generous. And so in demonstrating those qualities and those characteristics, then we are living in such a way that we are bringing and we are sustaining God's reputation and so whenever the world then hears or, uh, and, and learns that you are a follower of Jesus, there are certain expectations being placed upon you then, aren't there? Oh, you go to church, don't you? Well, immediately, you know, when people realize, oh, you go to church on a regular basis, you're a member of that church on the hill at the Presbyterian church. Ah, uh, well, even the Presbyterian church has somewhat of a reputation, and so in our life as followers of the Lord Jesus, are we living in such a manner and in such a way that we are bringing a good reputation and bringing thanks and praise to God? Remember, Sid reminded us a few weeks ago of what is said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. And there it says, let your light shine before humanity, before your neighbors. Let your light shine so that when people see your good deeds, see the light that you're shining, and they will give thanks to your Father in heaven. They will bring praise to him as a result of our life. And... So whenever we, there's the other side to that too, isn't there? Is that whenever we fail, whenever someone knows that, you know, we are a follower of Jesus and those expectations of the kind of life that we're supposed to be living, the kind of attributes, characteristics, and qualities that we should be demonstrating, they're supposed to be present in our behavior and in our speech. So, uh The question is, is that, uh, you know, how, how good am I at being able to do that? Well, God's given me all the tools, hasn't he? He's given me the gift of faith. He's given me the gift of grace. He's given me the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Well, John 16 is a great place. If you want to know specifically what Jesus said about this counselor who is supposed to come and live with us and alongside of us and live within us. Uh, Well, the spirit is supposed to come to convict us of sin. (laughs) Well, uh, sometimes that's pretty tough to to handle, isn't it? You know, and so now one of the things I I learned when I moved out here to Southern California is you have the rudest flies I've ever met... (laughs) In all of America, (laughs) and and the years I spent, you know, up there at the uh, uh, in the pulpit in the sanctuary, you know, and every once in a while there'd be a fly that would just bombard me. The whole, you know, anyhow, that's happened. He's back. He's back. He says, "Oh, that guy's back again." So anyhow, (laughs) so as we are looking at this quality of being consistent in our life we fail don't we we stumble and we fall and so with the holy spirit coming to convict me of sin you know i begin to realize that you know what sometimes i shoot off my mouth when i ought to just keep quiet sometimes i speak unkind words and all of a sudden i'm feeling terribly guilty I have stumbled and I have fallen. I have, in a sense, put those old clothes back on again, clothes that I felt so comfortable with. But yet it's a matter of, okay, as I've, I've heard one gentleman say, great preacher who said, living the Christian life is difficult and living the daily Christian life is even more difficult because it's so daily. You know, you take a couple of steps forward, and then you stumble and fall. You get back up, and you think, okay, I'm not going to let that happen again. Well, you take several steps forward, you stumble and fall. Oh, my. You know, and there's sort of this revolving door. You know, and hopefully then, as Paul prays uh, in this text, he's asking God to fill us, that is, to fill the church at Colossae, God to fill you with the knowledge of His will. Fill. I mean, we're not just getting a little, you know, tidbit of trivia. We're going to be filled with the knowledge of God's will through all spiritual wisdom. That is wisdom, that is the ability to apply the knowledge that God has given to us in a right and consistent way because we have. The Holy Spirit to help lead and guide us. Well, in this consistency and, and reputation, you know, one of the things that uh, in uh, going to seminary, I took some time off to go back and do an internship uh, in, a, uh, in the church where I grew up. And uh, in going back there as well, because it was a part-time position, I went out and I, I got my old construction job back with the same construction business, and so I was a, a brick laborer, you know, and uh, would mix hod uh, with uh, the concrete uh, and the cement, and then also carry hod with bricks and blocks and whatever, and and would uh, uh, build up some scaffolding and whatever. And so the, but now these guys knew me as Doug the preacher, you know. Oh, you're going to a seminary. You're going to become a pastor. Huh? You're going to okay. Well, all right. Well, needless to say. Guess who was watching my every move? Well, then there was this one day that I was putting concrete block up on the, the scaffolding and the brick layer. I mean, they were quick. You know, they'd grab the block off there and put it back on top of the mortar that they had placed. And all right, well, I put this block up there. And I made the mistake of having my hand on the underside of the block. You know? And so I lifted up there and plop it down, and that brick layer, you know, he just grabs it out of my hand. Well, my finger gets caught between two blocks, and I'll tell you what, it was pain like I had never felt in my life. And the immediate reaction was not good. (laughs) (laughs) The air and the sky went dark blue. And there was immediate, I mean, even the radio that had been going with all the music was turned off. Just total silence, you know? And finally, one of the the bricklayers looked at me and says, Doug, was that you? (laughs) Yeah, it was. Well, it took me a while to live that one down, you know? But uh, a whole lot of apologies taking place there. Uh, you know, and <laughs> another bricklayer said to me, he says, I had no idea pastors, pastors could talk that way. <laughs> well, anyway, so we stumble and we fall, and yet at the same time, God's intent is that we will continue to grow. We will continue to mature. Uh, we will continue to be able to, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to demonstrate the attributes and the qualities that God wants us to have. In fact, in Colossians here, as they're speaking about these qualities and attributes of the Church of Colossae and wanting them to get this down so that they might know what it is to be able to live, that is, and walk a life that is worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter three, uh, we read that it says, "'Put to death, therefore, "'whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And then in verse 7, it says, and you used to walk. That is, you used to live your life in this way, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things, and then it says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Wow. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace, and also be thankful. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are love, joy peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Did I forget any? Patience? Patience? Oh, yeah, that's right. I, boy, that's, yeah, exactly. There's always a reason why I don't bring that one. I don't throw that one out there. So what I've learned in the middle of those nine fruit... Is that you find PKG. So you think of PKG. PKG is an abbreviation for the word package. All right, patience, kindness, goodness. And then the last three, if you think of the uh, abbreviation for the word figure or figs, FGS, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. It's the first three that I haven't been able to come up with a good abbreviation for. So it, sometimes, you know, I'll say love, joy, and peace, and then other times I'll say love, you know, joy and peace, love, peace, and joy. Uh, okay, so what's the difference? They're all there, all nine of them. Anybody have a, a, a consistent way of being able to remember that? <laughs> so anyway, the but it always starts with love. So love is that first fruit. And so as we put that on, we begin and we put that love on, and we look at the three attributes mentioned of the church at Colossae in those opening verses is that notice that it speaks of faith. Okay, so they've heard. We've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus, and then we've also heard about your love you have for all of the saints. So when we come to faith in Jesus Christ... One of the things that can't help be born within us is a desire to love and to be kind and generous and helpful. Well, sometimes we though find ways to be able to avoid those or turn away from them. But yet, if we're going to live a life that is worthy of our Lord, we need to remember that faith, it begins with faith. Begins in that trust, that belief, that conviction, that what God has said and taught is true, and then it turns then to love, the love you have for all the saints, the love toward others, because God's love then becomes a part of our lives. We then want to share it, don't we? You know, and so we just can't. We're not made just to sit and soak and sour. We're made to share and embrace others around us and to reach out. And so then the faith and love that spring from hope. Faith, hope, and love. Where do you remember those from? That's right, 1 Corinthians 13. And these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And so hope is an overwhelming confidence in what God has said and what God said he would do. It's not wishful thinking. You know, I hope it uh, will. the sun will shine tomorrow. Or here in the desert, we say, you know, I hope it'll rain. You know, I hope it'll get cloudy. And we'll just have a good old-fashioned Midwest, you know, downpour. You know, I love thunderstorms. Uh, but I just have to uh, go back to Pennsylvania to experience them in a meaningful way. So... Uh, But this hope, it says, is stored up for you in heaven, and that you have already heard about it in the word of truth, and the gospel has come to you. And so all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, and it was Epaphras who led the church at Colossae into its relationship with the Lord Jesus And so that bearing fruit, notice how the Apostle Paul says after he says, live a life worthy of the Lord. Well, what are some of the other implications there for a life worthy of the Lord? Uh, Well, it means to please him in every way. That is, bearing fruit in every good work. And so a part of following Jesus Christ means that we're going to abide in the vine. We're going to live in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then being strengthened with all power, all power coming from God through the Holy Spirit, it means that we are capable, if we would just take the time to appropriate the gifts that God has given to us. So, we give thanks to the Father, and what has God done to enable us to be able to live this life that is worthy of of our Lord. Well, He has qualified us to be able to share in the inheritance of the saints, in the kingdom of light. Well, who is the light of the world? Well, Jesus is the light of the world. Absolutely. It's uh, just like yeah, the, the Sunday school teacher. And you know, if if uh, the answer when a question's asked, if you always answer Jesus, you know you're pretty close. The kingdom of light. And so it's into that kingdom that we are born and that we are rescued. And for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Out of the darkness he has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption. And the forgiveness of sins. That word redemption means that we have been loosened from We have been tied. We have the dominion. We've lived under the jurisprudence, the jurisdiction of sin and darkness. But yet God in his rescuing, in his redemption, that is through the blood of Jesus Christ, he has paid for our penalty. And so the bonds of this darkness have been cut loose. And so we have been loosened then to experience the forgiveness, the cleansing of God from our sin. So live a life worthy of our Lord. This first 14 verses gives us all kinds of motivation and reasons to be willing to do that. Because we know that in our willingness, God is even the author and the giver of that willingness and that desire. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... May it be so with you and me, amen.